RNZ National and Hayden Donnell joins me in the studio for a midweek Media Watch. Well, it has to be a debate special, doesn't it? What else has there been on today? What was the US presidential debate like from your perspective? Just awful. Terrible. No good. Absolutely awful. It was very hard to find a highlight from the debate, but it was incredibly easy to find a whole bunch of lowlights. And here's just one typical exchange. You got three and a half million dollars from Moscow. He testified under oath in his administration, said, I did my job and I did it very well. I did it honorably. I don't know who they are. Well, I'll give you the list of the people who testified. No, no, go ahead, sir. Sure, you've already fired most of them because they did a good job. Some people don't do a good job. With you, Go ahead. You get the, the wait a minute. You get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This Hey, hey this let me person. just say to you. So that was Joe Biden trying to speak. That was Donald Trump yelling pretty garbled nonsense and rebuttals over the top of it. And Fox News moderator Chris Wallace half-heartedly trying to keep things on topic and failing pretty miserably. And that was typical of the entire debate, which mostly consisted of Trump incoherently screaming talking points at pretty much random times, but just all the time, really. And you had the exact figure, the number of interjections, didn't you earlier, Karen? Yes, we did have the exact number of interjections. It was 73. 73. It's actually, it felt like more. Somehow it felt like more than 73. But by the end, Biden was reduced to just pleading with his opponent to shut up. This is him doing that. Strongly you feel. Let vote now. Make sure you, in fact, let people know you're senator. I'm not going to answer the question because because the question is the question is the question left. Will you shut up, man? (laughs) How did the media cover it? Yeah, that was Joe Biden telling Donald Trump to shut up. That and that was actually something that was highlighted by the media. And as per usual. That was sort of an example of some of the mainstream, most respected, austere publications in the US pretty much miserably failing to do their job, and that is to reflect the reality of what took place. So earlier in the day, the Washington Post, one of their reporters posted a sneak peek of their front page for tomorrow, and it was leading with the headline, Fiery Debate Signals Bitter Fight Ahead. Now the question, why was it fiery? Was it because one of the parties was repeatedly and intentionally derailing every segment? Who could know? Maybe you could read the story to find out. You probably wouldn't, though. Similarly, the New York Times went with, for their headline, sharp personal attacks and name-calling and chaotic first debate. Now, there were sharp personal attacks and name-calling, but that doesn't really reflect the reality of what took place, which was these repeated interjections, this real, almost just total derailing of the debate format. And these are elements of news. There were actually elements of news from the debate that these outlets could have highlighted instead of just doing these kind of, uh, I guess, uh, high-minded overview-type headlines. There was actually a segment where Donald Trump said of the Proud Boys, which is a far-right militant group, an ultra-right extremist group, he said, stand back and stand by, and he refused to disavow them. So instead, these outlets' headlines, they take place in what seems like almost a different universe, where both candidates kind of infringe to roughly equal degrees, and maybe Trump released what CNN's fact-checker Daniel Dale later called an avalanche of lies. But then again, Joe Biden said that he should shut up and called him a clown. So it's impossible to say who was right in the Times and the post-political team's eyes. So what do you think they should have done instead then? Well, the journalism watchdog group Media Matters, they've actually written about this today, and it's just basically to 
make the headlines and their stories reflect the reality of what took place. And that was a much more extremist event than just a sort of fiery exchange of ideas, a spat between roughly equal, uh, you know, headstrong candidates. And this is what's been practiced instead is what I've talked about before and I've talked about it ad nauseum and what the j- journalism professor Jay Rosen talks about as well. And that's kind of this both sides journalism. And that argues that sort of the Post and the Times, they can't really tell the truth about what happened because that would make them seem biased. And this desire to not seem biased is actually probably more important to them than telling the truth in the end. To seem like they're above the fray is more important than to reflect the reality of what's happening. And so sometimes called an asymmetrical, uh, symmetrical coverage of an asymmetrical reality. Now, that wasn't everyone, though. There were some uh, organisations that covered it pretty well. So this is CNN's Jake Tapper. It was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate. It was a disgrace. Um, And it's primarily because of President Trump. Now, that was Jake Tapper talking straight after the debate. And soon after he said that, his co-host Dana Bash had this to say. You just took the words out of my mouth. Um, you used some high-minded language. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a shit show. That was Dana Bash calling the debate a shit show. Was that a popular opinion? Did everyone think it was a shit show? Pretty much. <laughs> everyone on cable news. See, this is the thing with that's what that makes these uh, headlines, like in the Post and the Times, quite difficult to swallow because this was a pretty consensus opinion from a lot of the mainstream pundits. They, they were a lot of them were saying it was the worst debate they've ever seen, and that's what makes it so confounding that some outlets have sort of refused to take that position. The Atlantic didn't refuse to take that position. Its writer, James Fellow, said uh, it was so putrid, this event, that it may spell the end of the presidential debate as we know it. And I'll just read a quote from the conclusion of his article. This was a disgusting, I'm putting air quotes around this. This was a disgusting moment for democracy. Donald Trump made it so, and Chris Wallace led him. I hope there are no more debates before this election. If they happen, I won't waste another minute of my life watching him. The modern presidential debate was invented in 1960. We may have seen the end of its useful life this evening. Well, coming back home, we had our own debate. How did the big local debate compare to the US spectacle? A little bit better. Did you think it was a little bit better? I think it was a little bit better than Trump versus Biden. That is an incredibly low bar to clear. But I think it was also a little bit better than the TVNZ debate last week. At the start, you did have a little bit of a case of the Trump-Bidens, I thought. Not a severe one, but where Judith Collins was interrupting and Patrick Gale was not really interjecting to take the conversation back on topic, but in general it sorted itself out. And it was also, I think, better than the TVNZ debate because of the way the questions were asked and the question choices. And I want to highlight one thing in particular. Last week on TVNZ, uh, Marty weren't mentioned at all. It took place in this Marty Free Universe, and that's been commented a lot and uh, on a lot, uh, including by the spin-off Leonie Hayden. Uh, this wasn't 
like that. There were questions about compulsory te reo Māori education in schools, our disgraceful Māori health stats, and I remember there was a question about uh, systematic racism in the justice system leading to more Māori being in prison for cannabis offences. I don't want to say it was perfect, as uh, Mihingarangi Forbes mentioned after the debate in the panel, uh, the actual first mention of Māori in either of these debates, it seems, was Judith Collins bringing up the Kahui twins in a question about child abuse. So that's pretty shameful. And what about the entertainment factor? Was it more entertaining than the US debate? Uh, depend what, depends it depends what, what you want. Entertainment yeah, well, what you think of as entertainment, but it was a rollicking debate, especially by the standards of last. I'm sorry to pick on TVNZ a little bit, but I think that Patrick Gower, the moderator, actually did a really good job of creating a livelier environment. And and tactically, I think what he did was interesting. He mixed up some of these longer, high-minded questions about stuff like climate change, the housing crisis, or child poverty, uh, child abuse, uh, pharmac, with just short yes or no questions often. So he asked whether they'd smoke cannabis. Collins hadn't uh, doing had. He asked fun questions as well. Where would you like to go on holiday? Collins wanted to go to the Chatham Islands. Ardern said that she wants to go to Stewart Island. I don't really believe either of them, but that's what they said. Uh, now, <laughs> there was also just bits where he would he would hold them to account and just say, which way are you voting? You know, like, and so you had these bits that were just speedier. And it made the debate seem a, li- a lot more snappier. And uh, a lot more snappy, sorry. I, I want to be grammatically correct. And this, I just thought, was was probably the funniest moment of the debate. There was quite a few comedic moments in the end. Uh, but this is, sorry in advance to Phil Twyford, but this is an example of the difference in tone from last week. Jacinda Ardern, just play a quick sorry. game. Asset or liability? <laughs> Phil Twyford. Are you still... <laughs> He's still in my cabinet. He paid a asset price. Or liability. Well, if he's in my cabinet, then yes, asset. he has qualities. So Judith Collins, is he an asset or is he a liability? Well, he's, he's my Put asset fire. and he's Miss Ardern's liability. But she... okay, There's a very snappy line from national leader Judith Collins. Yeah, some classic wordplay there. Yeah. So now this might not have pleased everyone and there were probably people that want debates to be a bit more of an austere trip through the marketplace of ideas, but it was at least an easier watch than the Trump-Biden schmozzle. And I think we did actually get a lot of those really serious topics mixed in with some of these almost comedy show type routines towards the end when we had this quick fire round. And Hayden, there was some commentary about the way the last debate was shot, technically shot. So Mm. was this one any different? Yeah, I do want to mention this. Uh, The former UK Labour MP, MP, Brian Gould, actually, he wrote a Facebook post that went pretty was shared pretty widely and it was about the way that the last debate was staged and whether intentionally or not it had this situation where actually the lighting was all on Judith Collins directly and she was shot primarily head-on whereas Jacinda Ardern was shot primarily in profile and I don't know if you remember those shots but she it would it would show the side of her face as she's answering a question so, she, so she's not addressing the camera but then you would have Collins face almost providing a non-verbal running commentary in the background which was quite a weird way of putting it it kind of made Jacinda Ardern seem a bit peripheral to the debate. This one was a lot more, it was just starkly lit. It was in Q Theatre in Auckland in a socially distanced crowd. You could see the crowd in the background, which helped. And it was just straight on shots of both of them. It was sort of no no, no obvious kind of uh, 
a subtle bias at play there or any any advantaging of either of the candidates. They had a week to get it right, though, didn't they? They did, and they must have pulled out all the stops, right? Because they knew that TVNZ was getting a bit of criticism, and I think they probably actually pulled it off. It was a bit of a barnstorming debate, and it might please their new owner, Discovery. But you don't think that these are the best debates, I believe, that are happening in New Zealand. Who takes that crown for you? The Hui has been running. I want to give this a shout-out. The Hui has been running these electorate debates for the Māori electorates. Uh, and there's the, the moderated by Mihi Forbes, the show's host. And they are pretty rowdy. And they're just great discussions. They're pretty respectful as well. Great korero. And I just think they're, they're probably some of the best debates that you can watch if you really want to get educated about the issues in the Māori electorates, and they've been hosting a bunch of them. And the corridor is great, but probably the best part of them actually has been uh, Mihi Forbes' lead-ins to the ad breaks. And today, a Twitter user who goes by the handle More Videos constructed this compilation of Mihi's best lines. More explosive than a geyser. Well, it's getting hotter than a Polynesian pool. Getting louder than a Upanui Kapahaka living. We're on the home straight now. I think that's the Kawero straight. Stay with us. Uh, this debate's going to be tougher than a Wainui or Mata league final. It's getting hotter than a Topomaru uh, Bay shearing sheds. Getting rowdier than Russell in the 1800s. It's getting louder than Haruru Falls. More twists James and William turns than the Mangamuka Gorge. So stay with us. Ka hoki mai tahui <laughs> Metaphors that are mightier than the warriors. Well, oh, that, look, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we should be trying to compete on these. And now, I, it's insider info. I reckon, uh, not I reckon. I know that these lines aren't actually being uh, written by Mihi Forbes. They're actually being written by the show's producer Annabelle Lee Mather, who will fire Mihi if she doesn't deliver them. So there's a little bit of a, a insider knowledge about what's going on there. But it hasn't been all laughs for the Hui, has it? They've also had some uh, controversy? Recent controversies. So uh, in their recent debate between the Titai Tokoro uh, candidates, they invited one of the candidates who's particularly controversial, uh, Billy Takahika Jr., to participate. Now, that is pretty controversial because uh, Billy TK Jr., he's developed a substantial following from propagating conspiracy theories. He believes in QAnon. He believes in st- false stuff about Agenda 21 and 30 from the UN being a global plot to subvert the sovereignty of our government. And the commentator Neil Jones accused the, sh- accused the show of being irresponsible, giving him a platform. Can, can you see Neil's point? I can, in a way, and I've spoken about Billy TK Jr., in the past. Now, particularly in a live for, format, it's hard to fact-check his ideas and he can it can give him credibility to be in these mainstream formats. And David Ferrier, who's written about this stuff for his blog Webworm, says that the debate format doesn't really uh, hinder Takahika because he operates in a separate reality and can't really be shamed. Do you agree? I think in this case, the Hui has a pretty good argument that they needed to include him. For one thing, they've included all the other candidates, and all of, including some controversial ones like Hannah Tamaki and Waiariki. And she said some pretty controversial stuff there, and that wasn't really uh, critiqued to the same degree. But also, I think a lot of Tikahika's rhetoric rests on the ideas that he's being censored. And to then deliberately not include him in this kind of format, an election debate, where all the other candidates are included, would probably actually play into that narrative. Another thing, 
if there's any p- format where he can be actually hosted and fact-checked live, it's going to be a debate where it's hosted by one of the country's best interviewers and can actually be, uh, his ideas can be contested by the other candidates there. So I think an electorate debate, probably a little bit of a different situation and other Media organisations have made worse decisions, such as News Hub Nation giving him a one-on-one sit-down interview, and that was actually a pretty bad situation in the end. We've just got a minute and a half before the 11 o'clock news, but quickly, uh, Magic Talk tweeted this segment the other day, which uh, features, I believe, Ryan Bridge and a caller named Janet. You want to talk about this weird tweet? I've heard both you and Sean Plunkett make reference to the Communist Party. They're not, nothing like the Communist Party. Well, they, there may be similarities, but they're certainly not the Communist Party. No, of course. And, and, and it's, I think it's, that's it's exaggeration. It's exaggeration, Janet. So you're absolutely right. Words? Well, because it's talkback radio and you've got to, get, you've got to say something, Janet. So you're creating sensationalism, aren't you? It's not, not honest journalism. No, it's absolutely not honest journalism. I got out of that business the minute I stepped into the studio. 30 seconds to comment on that, Hayden. <laughs> no, I wanted to throw that to you, actually, Karen, to put you on the spot. Do you think that that's true of talkback radio, that actually it's not honest journalism? Uh, I, I thought that was a little bit too cynical. I think that's up to the individual, whether they're honest or they're dishonest. Oh, I think that talkback, you can be a bit honest. And just before we go, can I mention that News Hub did an excellent scoop today. Zach Fleming, their reporter, two trips to the Ombudsman, but he found out exactly how much it would cost the government to pay for dental care, $148.5 million for a substantial expansion and 648 million to expand it to everyone up to the age of 80 and that's not that much and that's it from us Hayden Donnell for Midweek Media Watch thank you very much